Amen. You can be seated. Um, giving our lives to God is something that we just kind of, we cry out, we say it. Um, it seems like the thing to say, and sometimes, um, like in this book of Titus that we've been in, we get um, great opportunities in life to get a glimpse of what that's supposed to look like. Um, I had a real great kind of connection moment, and just what we've been studying yesterday, uh, all tons of graduations have been going on, uh, especially within high schools recently. Um, I had a chance to be at my nephew's graduation yesterday. Uh, he graduated from Southeast Guilford, and we're in the Coliseum, and everybody's in there, and like cheering and screaming and like losing their minds, and those are the families you're like, you know what? They didn't know if this day was ever going to come for that child, right? <laughs> Um, I personally believe by the time my first son gets there in another three years and all subsequent children after that that I see walk across the stage, I'm just going to have maybe if I have the energy just to raise fists because I'm, I'm going to be exhausted just through the process. Um, there was a lady that was about three rows behind me and it was so clear. Um, no one else said anything from the family but they called this guy's name, and as he stepped onto the stage, just real clear, it cut through the air. She just said, and, and just basically this tone, oh, thank you, Jesus. Like, it was just this, like, like it was, like, even at the moment, she's like, I see you on that last step, but I just don't know that I believe they're going to say your name. And it was just this, like, declaration of praise and relief in this moment. And I just want to turn around to her and go, I totally understand where you're coming from on that. Um, but I talked to my nephew yesterday, and I always like to ask graduates, like, um, you, do, you, do you feel the difference? Do you feel the difference? Because in reality, you always know, no, you don't yet. Uh, you feel the difference when you don't go to that same place the next fall and that kind of thing. But, um, but it's interesting. He did tell me, he said, you know, he said it was a really odd moment. He said, we're there. He said, everything's going on. Or, you know, they're calling out a million names. And he said, it's really not taking a whole lot of it in. He said, but then there was that moment when they said, okay, you can you can turn your tassel. And it's that taking it from the right side of the cap to the left side, just over that front corner, that if you've ever graduated, high school, college, whatever it was, um, in that moment, you try to kind of get that, that reaffirmation of, I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I'm not a student here anymore. I am now a graduate. And I think too many times in life, we kind of build it up to you. Do you feel different? Do you feel this? And, you know, really, when we pursue and we rely on our feelings, those things are tricky. They'll fool you in a minute. But when we have that moment where we know that there's been change, um, sometimes we don't feel it. It's not, there doesn't seem to be hardly anything different because it's literally just over a matter of minutes or seconds. And as I, as I heard him tell that story, as it's, you know, it's Saturday afternoon. I'm already thinking about the message on Sunday um, and just what we've been studying and everything. And it just kind of really rang out to me. I was like, you know what, God, we're, you know, in this last chapter, um, you and your perfect thoughts whispered into the heart of Paul to, to write this letter. And you, and you really invested in some verses that are just good, saved theology. Because many times when we give our life to Christ in that moment, maybe we come out of a lot of tragedy or we come out of a lot of grief and stress, but many times for many of us, if we were really honest and we just said it out, you know, said it openly, at the moment that you prayed to receive Christ or however you want to put it in words, did you just feel like a huge earthquake? For many of us, we would go, actually, no. But there is a difference. And Paul spends some time talking about why there's a difference because, again, remember, the whole theory that we've been on, the whole idea through this short letter of Titus um, is this where our belief and behavior meet. How we behave, the things we do, the words we say, how we say them, the actions that we take, they speak to what we really believe. 
And Scripture, as, as God whispers it through Paul, it seems to say pretty clearly when we don't act as faithful followers of Jesus, we could probably go back to really our core belief about who we are and how much has that consumed us and, and how have we grown in that to see maybe, maybe what's going on. It's a, it's a very useful and helpful journey because you know, when we get saved, we're a, we're a lot like that graduate. We're a lot like the birth of a baby, as the Bible uses it as, as an example a lot of times. Yes, there is a change, and that change is definite, and that's a change that's important. But it doesn't always feel like everything's changed. But it also means there's always growth ahead of us. We don't know at that moment all what we'll know, even in a short few years down in our lifetime. So we're going we're gonna to wrap up this, um, this walk through Titus. It's been three weeks. If you haven't had a chance to be here all this week and the, the previous two, um, I'd encourage you to go back and listen um, to the truth of God's Word out of Titus. There's some really great things in there. Um, he talks about some conflict that the church was having. If you've ever heard this statement or if you've ever called a group of people a Cretan, just somebody that's horrible, miserable, and just pursuing their passions, um, and that's all they pursue in life. That's pretty much the culture that he lived in. I mean, if you can imagine, if people just kind of woke up every day and the things that attracted their attention and attracted their desires, they just they went that direction. Uh, they went after that thing. That's pretty much the, the summation of the culture that they lived in. And Titus is a guy who's called to, to try to not just plant churches, but help Christians become better Christians and help the lost see how they can be saved. And he's called to that kind of ministry. And he realized that it wasn't going to be easy. Paul warned him it wasn't going to be easy. And in fact, over time, it proved to not really be easy. Um, but, but many times, the, the best things, the most valuable things um, in life aren't just always simple because they take work to achieve. And, and there's some level of battle over that thing. There, there, there's a win to be had. And, and Paul is invested in herein wins for the gospel, wins for the kingdom. Um, last week when we were in chapter 2, uh, there were some things that we were called to do, and instead of just jumping right in there, we started in a, in a different set of verses with the why. Um, and, and I'd like to do that again. I hope that's okay with you. If it's not, uh, I'm the one speaking with a microphone, so I, you know, I'll apologize later if, 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 if it's not really great for you. But um, I, I really want to dive first into Paul's saved theology. Because for many of us, I don't know that we really think through and take time to think through. Our lives don't seem to offer us a lot of time to really think through. Um, what does it mean that we are this thing called saved? What has happened? See, see, Jesus and the Holy Spirit do something when we get saved. Um, and, and Paul's very clear about this. The first two verses, we're going to come back to those because those are some things that, that really God's Word is calling us to avoid. Uh, because, again, um, our belief in who God is, our knowledge that we grow in in Him, calls us to a lifestyle. It calls us um, to, to look like something. In verse 3, we have the English word in, in the translation that I'm reading from, for. Uh, some translations just say so. And it is such a small word in English, but, but in, in Greek it was a really significant word because it was, it was a transition word. And that word kind of screamed out, hey, listen, Everything that's already been said is directly connected to what is getting ready to be said next. In other words, it, it, Paul could have said it this way. Listen, this lifestyle that I'm describing, if you're not saved, which is what I'm going to talk about next, it, it, almost, it basically just doesn't even apply to you. But, but if you're saved, what I've just talked about, 
directly replies to you. It, it directly replies to what's going on here. So I want to start first with this really kind of saved theology that he presents. He starts with what I would call our lostness, our, our, our reality before Christ, which is interesting because he's talking about our behavior, our, our things we do, our conversations we say. And really, at, at the very beginning, he, he's basically saying this. He says, listen, he said, it, your lostness, the, 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 the great distance that you were from God, just the reality of that, knowing that, he said, that alone is enough to call you to change your life once you've received Jesus as Savior, once you know that you belong to Him. This is what Paul says. This is how he describes all of our condition. He said, for we, he's included himself, for we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived. Now, those three words are really tied in closely to people that he's already talked about in this book. Uh, remember, he talked about the empty talkers, the people that just get up and just talk, 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 talk. There doesn't seem to be really any content or substance to what they're saying. I jokingly said, hey, I may be that person for you, and I got a lot of laughs out of that. I've spent about six days in counseling, so I'm okay with that now. But, but you know, that kind of stung a little bit. But, but, but he said for these people, you know, there, there's an emptiness to what's being said. He said, listen, he said they're foolish. They're, they're, not, they're not really understanding really what's important. He said there's an ignorance to them. He said that's who we were. He said we were disobedient. Remember the word rebellious? Uh, we, we willfully went against and away from God and all that we were doing. We, we, just, we were pulling that way. Then it says that we were deceived. He talks about the deceptiveness of people when it comes to how damaging they can be when they're teaching and, and when they're just maybe in one-on-one -on -one conversations and when they're saying, hey, um, they, they say one thing true about God, but then they kind of give a little bit of a half-truth and how damaging that was, how deceitful that is. It pulls us away from really knowing who God is accurately. This is how he describes us. He says this, that we were enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful detesting one another. He said, we had bad relationships. We were living with grudges. We, we had jealousy that was just ruling us. We were literally locked down and handcuffed to our passions. They were making decisions for us. We weren't even hardly really making our own decisions. Paul said that was all of us. You know, for many people, uh, maybe you were like me and you grew up in church. You, you were there a lot growing up. And, and you were church plenty before you really got saved. Like before you really came into a real relationship with God through Jesus. When you go back and you look at your life, you're like, you know what? I, like I didn't see all this. I don't see all this stuff. We can never get away from this one real, real, real clear truth. That no matter how we see ourselves, God sees our sin. And our sin looks that way to Him. Remember last week we talked about how as we grow in our faith, we, we start thinking more like God. And God hates, hates sin. So as we grow spiritually, we'll start to hate sin because ultimately that's what we're moving towards. Heaven has no sin. It's eliminated totally. So we're moving towards that reality. So we'll, we'll start to think like God and we'll start to detest it more and more and more. But Paul says this is who we were. Our lostness says it's worth living differently. If we are saved and we continue to live like this, then people that don't know God can't see a difference. And if you don't know about something, it helps to see a contrast. If you go on your smartphone and you take a picture of something, you can go on there and go to the edit screen and you can move the contrast. It changes how different, different colors look and how different shapes look and everything. And it really brings certain things out and it pushes other things to the background. 
Well, when we show contrast as believers, again, we're not, we don't show hatred, we don't show ignorance, we don't show slander. We show a contrast. We show true love, grace, commitment, faithfulness. When we show lives like that, people that don't know God see it and they go, hey, that's really something different. Then they begin to investigate more, listen in more, watch more. This is what he describes as being saved. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared. Last week, we, we had a verse that almost sounded similar to this. Paul wrote to Titus, he says, when the grace of God appeared. Uh, Jesus is who that he's talking about in both situations. He's called the grace of God because we didn't deserve Him. Grace is goodness that we don't deserve. Here, he's described as the kindness of God appearing. You say, okay, that's not really kind of a, a word that I would just say. If I was going to get like good descriptive words for God, I don't know that I would go to kindness first. I want you to think about something. In your mind, very clearly, help me out with this. I want you to get a good mental picture of, of at least one person. Actually, yeah, just one person. Isolated on one person that you absolutely just cannot stand. I mean, you really don't like them. Um, now, now, please don't be that person that's like, no, I love everybody. Stop lying. At least make the bad people like me feel better and just like nod your head like you really do hate somebody, okay? So just like you get that person in your mind, okay? Get him in your mind. Now, when you think about that person, how easy, how easy would it be for you tomorrow morning at about 9 o'clock to drive to your bank and get every dollar you have out of your accounts and go and just hand it to that person and say, hey, spend wisely, have a good life? Pretty difficult. It would probably be pretty difficult when that person is really in our minds for us to even say, I would cross a crowded room. I would put forth the effort of just dodging people to get over to you to just compliment you. That, that just, that's not our nature many times as people. We would just say, you know what, I just, I just won't say anything. I'll just stay on this other side of the room and tell ourselves that that's enough. Think about the kindness that God had to show when he sees sin and he hates it so bad, and when he sees sin, he saw us, and he just said, you know what, I'm still going to send my son. I'm going to send him across the crowded room of this earth. I'm going to empty every resource that I have and offer it to you. I'm going to be kind through Jesus. It's an odd description of Jesus, but it really means something when we think about who we were before who we are. Then he says this, as he appeared, he, being Jesus, saved us. We can say, well, no, no, hang on a second, Derek. I, I got saved because I prayed this prayer when I was in whatever grade. No, that, that prayer didn't save. That prayer was just the vocal acknowledgement of the faith that God allowed us to have in our heart over, over who Jesus is. Everything that had to be done for me to get saved is everything that Jesus did. That's why I get saved. Now, it's Jesus' work that he completed, but it's also his partnership with, for the Holy Spirit. It says this after it, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. Now, there, there's a quote that I want to read you. This is something that um, Charles Spurgeon says. It says this, that works of righteousness are the fruit of salvation, and the root must come before the fruit. The Lord saves his people out of a clear, unmixed, undiluted mercy and grace, and for no other reason. God saved us because that's who He is. That's the root. That's what comes 
That, that's what comes first. And then what, comes, what grows off of that are the good things that we do. Paul's very clear about it. He's like, look, you can, be a, you can call yourself a pretty good person, but if it doesn't come out of salvation, it's really not goodness. See, many, people, many of us are thinking like our, our goodness is you know, giving money to the person that's in, that's in need that's at the end of the parking lot or at the, at, the, at, at the street corner. Everybody's doing that. We think our goodness is how we prepare a meal for somebody when they're sick or how we check on somebody. Something like, well, like, we think our goodness is, is those things. See, when, when Jesus starts talking goodness, when the Word starts talking goodness, it's everything from an act, but it's also just how we even think about somebody. It's the fact that we withhold a hard attitude and we don't, as it says in verses 1 and 2, slander them. It's so many things. It's out of the heart of goodness, of just loving that actual goodness comes out. See, if we just do something good because it's a good thing, it's just a good thing. It's really not something that's really there and real. Now, notice this. This is where Jesus and the Holy Spirit work together. It says that because of His mercy... And through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. See, that's what happens to us when we're saved. We talked about, you know, when I told you about my nephew moving his tassel from the right side to the left side. What happens when we get saved? There's two key words. It's not, some translations have just these two words, but this is the meaning. It's two things. Rebirth and renewal. Rebirth and renewal. This, this, is, this is so important for us to really grab onto before we move anywhere in to even having the Holy Spirit in us. First of all, rebirth is, is that there is a new life that happens. In other words, that, as the Bible says, that we, were, we are dead to sin and our trespasses when we're lost. And then when we are saved, we are born into a new life. Rebirth. It's, it's like when you walk into the delivery room and you hear that cry for the first time and you go, that is for sure a sign of life. And, and that baby is alive and they are here and, and they are growing. Immediately they're growing. That's the picture that we're given here. See, I, I learned some things when, when I um, knew that I was going to become a father. Um, with all three of my sons, it was very clear that when, when I walked into the delivery room, and, and I know Wendy was having the children and carrying the children for nine months, but, but I, I need to really refocus that towards me for a second. Um, when, when I walked into the delivery room, it was clear beyond any shadow of a doubt that, that when it was just me and Wendy in there, there was only one hero, and it was her, right? It was not me. Um, when I went in for when our first son was being born, I had all my list of what I'm not going to do. I was like, all right, listen, I need to tell somebody all the things I'm not going to do. They're looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, I'm not cutting the cord. I'm not looking. I'm not videoing. I'll be at the pillow end. Come get me if you need me. Um, and and I'll, I'll walk around at the end. And some of, like, there's, I, I go to see, like, parents that have kids, and there's, especially, we have a ton of firemen. They're in there like, yep, yeah, I cut the cord. I, like, I knew how dilated she was. I'm like, what is, like, what is going on in this room here? That is not who I am. So, so our, our first son, like, th- like this nurse kept trying to convince me that I was more of a hero than I told her I was not. And she, she was tricking me. And she got me to go places and do things, and I almost passed out. Like, I mean, my eyes rolled. They rushed towards me. This woman I love, she was mad at me at that moment. She didn't say anything mean, but I could see the communication. And, and my second son, so he comes along, and, and, and all of our births basically, ha- basically happened this way. Um, uh, they gave Wendy Pitocin, and that kind of slowed things down. They gave her an epidural, and it was like game on, and then push, boom, babies are born, right? So, so our, our kids, like, it, it, it started moving rapidly. And second child, we come in, and I have to convince them to, like, check and see. And, like, uh, it was like they were running to get doctors. I'm like, y'all are making the non-hero panic even more. 
And they come back in, they're getting everything ready, and they go to one side of the bed, and they're like, oh, um, sorry, the, uh, her bed's broke. Man, what are you talking about? Bed's broke? We're in a whole hospital. Like, there's beds everywhere. How, why are you going to give me the one broke bed? Why? So they're in there, and they look at me. I mean, dead look at me. And this nurse goes, sir, we're just going to need you to hold her leg up. Listen, listen. If you're ever employed the same place I am, when I show up, I clock in, I'm getting paid. If I'm paying somebody else, I'm not working. <laughs> so they tell me, you got, it looked like a professional wrestling match. I had the leg hooked, rolled over. You could have counted the three. Like, it was so uncomfortable. And they're, like, they're trying to tell me, like, you, you need to, you know, we actually need the leg a little bit farther back this way. Look, you told me to hold it. Don't tell me how to hold it, right? <laughs> but when we finally worked through all the stuff of my issues... We, we had a baby. And, and I can tell you this, in my experience with three, in, in all my visitations to hospitals, never, ever at that moment when there's a baby, have I walked in the room and the baby's over there going, hey, um, looking through drawers, hey, all I see is diapers. Can I get some, uh, can I get some boxer briefs? <laughs> that doesn't happen. Like, there, like, you don't have a baby that comes out and it like goes, wah, <clears throat> actually, I'd like to say some things. <laughs> That's not what happens. This is a baby who needs everything and can hardly do anything for itself. It, it stays alive. It's, it's breathing. It's digesting. It's doing some stuff because there's life there. But it, that baby needs a whole lot of help. But, but every moment that baby gets help, it is one step closer to doing it for itself. So when, when the Bible says there's rebirth, there's new life, Number one, can we as Christians acknowledge that there's a whole lot that we're not ready for? Our life may have looked good and clean before we really gave our life to Christ, but as a new believer, when that new life starts, no matter how many Bible lessons we have heard or haven't heard, we aren't ready to do everything on our own. We need help, we need growth, we need accountability, we need all those things. But we are a new life. We will be breathing on our own spiritually. We will grow step by step, and we will do more and more on our own. And, and, and all of a sudden, we arrive at this place like, like everyone does to where we don't just make it on our own. We actually have the capacity to help someone else. It says that there's rebirth, there's new life. Then it says there's renewal. This is a really interesting word because it, it, it carries this idea of recreation. This word, this, this thing that happens in us is not just new life, but there's, there's this other idea that the Holy Spirit literally takes us back to Genesis where God says, now this is what I intended all along, to know you and for you to know me. And, and that can happen right away. That happens right away. When, when our sons were born, they realized who their parents were, and we knew them all of a sudden. And now we could talk to them clearly, and we could start to build a relationship. And that's what happens. We, we, are, we are reborn, new life, and then we are dropped into, really, this place that God always wanted for us. Do you realize in the Bible, all through the Old Testament, no matter how many great lives you think you see in there, not one single one of those people, call them heroes or zeros or whatever you want to call them, not one of those people lived a life on a regular basis having God's Spirit inside of them, unable to leave them. None of them. That's us. That's the life that we get to live. 
That is who we are. This is just, listen, this is just at the moment of salvation. This is the work that Jesus and the Holy Spirit does. Now listen to this. It, it continues on from there. It says, Through the washing of regeneration, the rebirth, and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, He poured out His Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. We do not receive God's Spirit without coming to God through Jesus Christ and believing in Him. It does not get to us without Jesus Christ. But that word abundantly, it doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that God looks at us and goes, okay, you know, this crowd over here, they were pretty awesome before they got saved. They really did some good things. So we're just going to kind of give them, you know, a little bit of the Holy Spirit, but they're, they're pretty good on their own. This section in here, y'all were just miserable people. Y'all were just like, y'all just need a bath. They're just like, like God's just dunking you in the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, not, it's not a quantitative thing. Abundantly here just simply means that when God's Spirit is poured into us when we belong to God, that we will always have an abundance. In other words, there will never be a day when the resources of God that He spent out of heaven for us run out. There will always be more than enough of what we need. But here's the thing. There is a difference. I could have a billion dollars in the bank today if I don't take any of it out I can go stand in a restaurant, but I still will not eat. I have to tap into the resources that I have. And as believers, if, if we don't tap into the resources that we have, if we don't connect in and live in those resources, and we just expect, well, things are just going to happen for me, we're, we're foolish in what we're thinking. We have it there, but unless we're connected in and we're growing and we're tapping into those heavenly resources that we're connected to in our relationship with God, we're, we're not going to see. Honestly, we're really not going to see the difference that we believe that we should see. We're going to see the same results happening because we're still not really changing functionally in our thoughts and our knowledge of who we really are. Then, if, if that's not enough, it says this, so that having been justified by His grace, having been justified by His grace, this is, this is a legal term, okay? So imagine yourself, you're in a courtroom. Now, some of y'all, you know, just don't tell any personal stories to this illustration, but just imagine yourself in a courtroom, and, and, and you're standing there, and there have been charges that have been brought before you. What you need is you need somebody to step forward. You need somebody to find evidence that they can disprove that those charges about you or about me are true. And if that can happen, you are legally justified. You are declared right. And you get to leave the courtroom with all the rights and responsibilities that you've ever had. If you can imagine yourself, or you, you, I can imagine myself this way, if, if, if I stood in a courtroom, in my mind, I tried to imagine myself in a courtroom where God is the judge, and I come in and the accusation is about all the sin that's ever been in my life, I got nothing. Like, I'm, there might be a few that I'm, maybe I'd have the guts to say, well, you, you got to understand, in that situation, here's how it went down. And about halfway through it, I'm going to look and go, okay, you know everything about me. I'm, just, I'm not even going to try. Jesus, basically, in that scenario, comes in the courtroom. He's not our wingman. He's not the, the guy that makes up a story to cover what we've done. He, he doesn't deny, Jesus never denies that we have sinned. He just simply comes in and says, I have paid for it. So there's two ways to get justified. One, you get to be proven innocent, which we're not. Or two, the payment can be met for us. 
And that's what Jesus does. He said, I've paid the payment. So we literally stand guilty, but because he's paid the payment, we get the same justified verdict. We get to go in freedom with all the rights and responsibilities and freedoms that God wants to give us. It's amazing. It doesn't even make sense. Like most of us, we have cousins that we wouldn't stand up for in court. We wouldn't even co-sign a car for them, right? And Jesus comes in and does that out of words like grace, goodness we don't deserve, mercy, because he just doesn't want us to get all that we are owed. It's phenomenal. And then, out of just this idea, idea, where did that word come from? Wow. I didn't even know I knew that one. That was, that was amazing, idea. Just going to start using it from now on. Brad, you got some free time coming up. I've got some good ideas for us. <laughs> this is the transition it makes. We may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Now, now listen, it's already said rebirth, renewal. It's already come back and said that we have an abundance of the Holy Spirit. We have been justified. This is just about salvation. This is just saved. This is saved theology. Then it says here that we become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Now, when you become an heir, you are in line for an inheritance. Now, for my kids, I've basically laid it all out for them. Um, one of you gets the television, one of you gets the refrigerator, and one of you gets um, to be jealous of the other two. I, like, that's, like, that's the inheritance list. But, but you, you get to be in line for an inheritance, big or small, Okay. So spiritually speaking, just being saved, and, and, and as, a, as, as a warning step, remember, salvation isn't, hey, believe in Jesus so you get to go to heaven. It's just believe in Jesus because he's Lord and he's Savior. As, as, as a reality, we are saved and we become heirs of the hope of eternity. In other words, that, that when we die, um, we get to go be in eternity with God forever. There are people that have heard a message, and I heard these messages growing up, where hell was described so clearly and so literally, you actually felt heat on the back of your neck. And I actually think that some like children's workers used to sit behind us and just go, and just like make us warmer, just to like get somebody to go up to the altar. But, but some of us have, have gone forward and, and maybe have made a profession of faith because we were just scared of hell, right? We were just scared of hell. And, and so we did something. Um, if that is where you feel like you move towards Jesus, I'd love to talk to you about that. Um, I'd really like to talk to you about saved theology. Here, yes, we have hope for an eternity with God in heaven. That is our future. But it is not just our future. See, if you're an heir, in their culture, if you were an heir, it wasn't just about what you were going to get. It also meant that you were, either by birth or legally adopted, a child of that person. So yes, in that one statement, yeah, we have heaven coming if we're saved. That's awesome. But we also, while we're waiting on that, get to live as a child of God in His provision, in His protection, in, his, in the journey that He's laid out in front of us. And, and too many of us, I think, are tricked in this thing of, because we do, we, we do feel like our belief and our behavior sometimes is such a, are such muddy waters. We think, okay, because I'm saved, God, I just get to live in your, you, you know, your protection and your safety. And we don't realize that being saved, even by Jesus' own description, means that we're going to suffer. 
In other words, um, we'll either have something come against us or there'll just be something that we want to do so badly that we won't like it that God says no. In, in our culture, um, relationships, um, living, having sex together outside of marriage, um, homosexuality, there's many things in, in the Bible that, we, that Christians have just like screamed hatred towards. So people, we've just shut down the conversation and, and we don't really think through and we don't really dig into the truth of God to realize that, that there may be things that we want that God just simply says, I have a divine plan for it. And yes, I may want to go and do something, but, but to give God glory and who I'm called as His, I need to open my mind to hear and, and receive His truth and, and grow in it and walk in it. There will be times in my life that, that I will want to do something that God says, no, I have a better plan. And that's, that's really where lordship comes down. It's, it's being saved. And, and, and all this... Is true about us. We do live in the protection, the provision of our Father. But our Father also has wisdom over us and has will over us. It says this saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. He, he's getting ready to go into a description of some things that he wants them to consider. I, I want to drop back to verse 1 for a minute. Remember, these, this, is, this is Paul writing to Titus, and he's, he's not saying just kind of passively mention these. He says, listen, in, in culture, I need you to really be clear on these. I need you to insist on these. Not that it's Titus's law, but it's, it's, it's God's word going to people. Now, verse 1 says this, remind them to submit. Remind means we'll probably forget. Submit to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. This, this particular group that we're supposed to submit to, to obey, to be ready for every good work, um, is, is most, most believed to be talking about like government authorities, people in leadership, that kind of thing. Now, it, it's, it seems to be kind of human nature that we want to rebel in certain situations. God never calls us in the Bible to deny Jesus in obeying leadership. We're never called to deny Christ. Uh, in, in the early church, they would have, uh, the Romans would have social gatherings. And in these social gatherings, um, you would be announced. And when you were announced, you had to pledge your loyalty and allegiance to Caesar. And, and they would ask you to do it in certain ways. And, and what became popular was they were wanting to put Christians in traps. They would, they would invite Christians, notable influence, influential um, Christians, to these parties because they would be required, as they were introduced, to, to say, Caesar is Lord. But see, that went directly against who Jesus is. So they literally would go into social gatherings, and if you didn't say it, you went to jail, you got beaten, you got killed. So for the Christian, they were charged with the heavy weight of walking into that social gathering. And when they were introduced to say, Jesus is Lord, they weren't expected to just go Caesar is Lord because Caesar was in control. They weren't expected to deny Christ to be able to submit to authority. See, God has allowed different kinds of governments, different rulers to be here on this earth, many of which that we would disagree with we would have questions about why they were in office, why they were in position, why they were in authority. And a lot of what we have to go back to is, is the truth in God's word that God is long-suffering. He, he gives a lot of people a lot of chances. And if he gives me a lot of chances, he has to give it to everybody else too. When we live under a government and they have rules and laws, if we can possibly do that and, and still acknowledge who Christ is, we're called to do it. 
Uh, if taxes are overbearing, you know, we're called to still be generous to God's house and allow him to provide for us so we can still pay taxes. Um, we're, we're, called to, we're called to obey a lot of rules because for people that are lost, when they see us willing to, to bend our will to a higher authority, that begins to open their mind to how we, we see God. They see, remember, they're looking for the contrast. It's not just about submitting in our minds. It's about doing. It says to submit and then obey. Not just think it, not just get your mind right, but actually take steps, take action. Then it says to be ready for every good work. See, we can still, especially in in our country, we we can submit and obey and pray for and honor certain rulers at certain levels, but at the same time, be ready to do the proper thing. Notice I said the proper thing when it comes to social justice issues. Social justice issues for Christians are opportunities to love people and to talk truth and to do it in grace. We're supposed to be ready for those type things. As we go back down, uh, farther down in here, farther down into chapter 3, I believe it's here, verse 9, but avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, disputes um, about the law because they are unprofitable, they're worthless, rejected. Uh, uh, reject a divisive person after a first and second warning, for you know that such a person has gone astray and is sinning. He is still self-condemned, or he is self-condemned. I'm sorry, i tell you what, let me, let me do this. I apologize. I actually did not finish um, verse 2. Let me go back up to verse 2 for just a second. Um, it, it says this, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. Um, we, we aren't called to deny Christ um, to obey government. We also are not called to be Christian doormats um, to people that just want to ride over us. But we are called to live Jesus in every situation that we possibly can. You, you, you may look at this and go, okay, it, it says here, um, to slander no one. The object there is no one. God says, listen, if you want to slander somebody, slander no one. You're like, great, that's, that's perfect. I got a lot of nobodies in my life, and I'm just going to rip them apart. That, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to speak kindly. We're called to withhold times when we could just rip somebody apart. You may say, hang on a second, but I'm right. Probably are. Probably are. But when we slander, we pull back grace. And as the Bible says, that Jesus was full of truth and grace. When we can't deliver truth with grace, we have to back out of that conversation. Because when we tear somebody apart, we're not showing grace. Remember, it's the contrast. Jesus wants to show grace, goodness that people don't deserve, mercy, withholding the bad that people do deserve. And it's a discipline. It's hard. Because when we're right and we're hurt, we're right and we're hurt. But this, this is the goodness that is the overflow of our salvation, realizing how forgiven I am so that in a moment my silence may be just enough forgiving to give somebody the grace to come into a knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not the easiest path to walk. Not just to not slander Avoid fighting. There, there's three words basically you could do with this. Um, it, it's be peaceful, be gentle, and be humble. Peaceful means that we don't, we don't attack with violence. But it doesn't mean that we don't act. We're, we're, we're pulling the violence out of it. The gentleness means that we, we quiet our own desires enough to consider the desires of someone else. Humbleness means that we keep a mindset to where we realize that there's others, as it says in Philippians chapter 2, that, are, that we need to treat as more important than ourselves because after all, that's what Jesus did. He could have stayed in heaven, but he didn't. He came to earth. He emptied himself just like a servant. 
Now back into verse 9. Avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, disputes about the law because these are unprofitable and worthless. That's a lot of what was going on even within their churches. They were arguing about things that, that people were adding to the gospel or taking away from the gospel. You, did you ever hear those growing up maybe in, in your past? You, you heard, yeah, be saved by Jesus, but, but you need to do this and look like this. And all. When we start adding certain things to the gospel, we go into a danger zone that is just going to damage, as it says in Titus, whole households, whole families will be wrecked because of it. Because there'll be parents that'll be yelling at their kids, telling them that they got to do this, when the Bible doesn't call them to got to do that. There'll be kids that'll be angry at their parents because they won't honor and respect their parents because they're so angry, because they're so frustrated. That's the carryover that Paul's trying to communicate here. And then it says this, reject a divisive person after a first and second warning. Again, I told you, the gospel doesn't call us to just be passive, um, doormat kind of people. If there's somebody that's attacking unity, they're trying to divide believers from each other, whether it's a whole church or whether it's just a small group of people, it could be somebody that you see at the pool over the summer. They just keep going in between relationships and wrecking. The Bible says, listen, go to them once and say, listen, what you're doing is wrong. And and it's dividing believers up. And and we don't need to be divided. We need to be serving and working for each other and helping each other. It's what what the work of the Holy Spirit does when we're saved. It's the contrast of, of the saved versus the world. So when we go in there, we say, listen, you, you, you can't do this, and here's why. If they come back and keep doing it, then we say, listen, we, we, we can't have you in the middle of this anymore. We, we, you're you're going to have to be out of this. Because this is the process that those, those people identify. It says, for you know that they are, such a person has gone astray, they've done wrong, and is sinning, they're, they're continuing to do wrong, and they have self-condemned. You know, I, I say this sometimes to my boys. Um, I, I never say as a parent, hey, listen, son, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you when I spank them. It, it always hurts them more than it hurts me. I, I can use my hand. I can use my phone. I can eat a sandwich. I can do a lot of things after a spanking. It's, I mean, my, my hand's just fine. Because I tell them this, a, a punishment in our house is not me being mean. It, it's, it's you going so far in denial of what has to be done that there's, there has to be a consequence. That's why I try my best. As I've, as I've tried to grow as a father, I've tried my best to lay out the, the, the punishment and, and everything that I can clear to them before they act so that when they arrive there, they realize that they have brought themselves there and it's not just me bringing them there. See, as, as we really look at the Gospels, we really look at God's Word and figure out, man, you know, what does it mean that I'm saved? Paul's very clear on that. But it also, we have to look into the Gospel for, for what do I do if I'm saved? Uh, my youngest son the other day was, um, we were in our kitchen, and um, he, he's been, he, he has a tough time in sports, takes sports super serious, gets real down on himself, gets a real defeated attitude, really struggles with it. So, so as we talk through some of this stuff and everything, I, I used an illustration with him that, that I've used before, and, and I walked up to him and I said, okay, son, you see my hand is closed. He said, yes. I said, uh, um, l- let me tell you something. I, I need to know whether or not you believe this. I said, inside my hand is something that has never been touched by human hands, to which he responds, really? I said, yeah, d- do you believe me? There is something inside my hand that has never been touched by human hands. So it's inside your hand. Yes. Your, your hand is closed all the way around it. Yes. And, and you're telling me it's never been touched before? Yes. Uh, no, I, 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 don't, I can't believe that. So I, so I turn my hand over, I open up my hand, and, and there's a shell. It's got a peanut inside of it. You break the shell, you open it up, 
and you eat the peanut. Peanut's never been touched by anybody's hand before. To which he goes, okay, well, yeah, I mean, it, like you didn't tell me it was a peanut inside of there. Yeah, I mean, clearly the nut is inside the shell. No, I know it hasn't been touched by people's hands. Okay, but, but you didn't believe me. Well, he said, well, yeah, because I didn't know that it was a peanut. Exactly. Think about this for a second. When we get saved, we are that rebirth baby. We don't know what it means for Jesus to be Lord of our life yet in all the areas of our life. We don't know why we should not rip somebody apart when they have done something wrong because they've done something wrong. We don't know why we should just be honest, just simply not lie consistently. Like, we don't know that. We don't know why we should be so faithful in relationships. We don't know why we should, we should look at everything in our lives. We don't know why we should love somebody when they seem to do something that disgusts us. We don't, we don't, we don't know all that stuff because why? We are believing with limited knowledge about what is ahead of us. So in that, in that moment, so what advice should I give my son, my young son, who only hears there's something inside my hand that's never been touched by human hands. What do I tell him then? Help me. What do I tell him? Anybody? Trust me. Trust me. Trust me, son, that I know more than you know. Trust me that this is something that I've got in my hand and I know something about it that you don't get yet. And, and when, I, when I reveal that to you, It'll make sense, but now may not be that time. So I'm trying to get him just to trust me that he is who Jesus says he is. And I need him to do that. I need to do that. We all do. And, and to trust God doesn't just mean with my eternal security. It means trusting him enough to go, God, I don't know why the things that I'm doing or what I'm supposed to do. I don't, I don't know why you want me to do this. But I'll do it. See, doing good doesn't make us right with God. But if we're right with God, we'll do good. Did you catch that? Doing good doesn't make us right with God. But if we're right with God, then we will do good. Real good. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a second? I pray that this, you know, kind of this walk through Titus has been good for you. Um, when, when our belief meets our behavior, when... When we come to the place to where what we believe about Jesus really consumes us, then, then we'll reevaluate everything that we do. We'll reevaluate our conversations, the tone of our talk. We'll, we'll reevaluate all those things because we know that we're called to pursue this Savior, Jesus Christ, that has, that has saved us. And when He saves us, and I, and I hope if you didn't catch any of the behavior conversations, I don't want you to leave here thinking, well, somebody probably thinks I do bad, or I bet you everybody thinks I do good. I, I would rather you leave here totally not thinking about your behavior and thinking about who you are if you are saved that you are a child of God now and forever into the future. That's what heir means. That you have the Holy Spirit, enough for every situation. And, and, and if you resort, if you're connected and you're using it, you, you'll not just know that it's there, but you'll experience His presence and His power. That you will be a new life and you will be repurposed, recreated for what He's always wanted you to be with Him. Because if you just concentrate on that, then the overflow of that will be much of what you and I do. Where belief and behavior meet. Not just believing in Jesus, but living like Him is what we're called to do. Sometimes we don't always know why. 
But if we truly trust, then we know that there's a purpose and we will know it eventually. But our trust in Him now, before we know it, does say much about our belief in God. If you don't know that you have a relationship with God through Jesus, then you can begin that today. You can just simply call out to Him and say, God, yes, I do believe in Your Son, Jesus, that He paid for my sin, that He will justify me. And God, I give You my life. If you pray that prayer and you do that, you really mean that in your heart, God knows that. It says in the Bible that He... He knows and searches our hearts. If you begin that relationship today, I'd like to ask you to come tell me. I'd like for you to at least fill out one of our cards, put your name and just check the box that says, yes, I became a Christian today. You may not feel the difference. It may feel a lot more like a tassel switch from right to left. You may not feel the earthquake or feel the big bump or the big whoosh. But the truth about who God says you are in that moment, what Jesus and the Holy Spirit do in you, is still true. We have to major much less in what we know and think. I'm sorry, we need to major much more in what we know and think than in what we feel. If you have any other needs, I'd love for you to come up and pray at this time. We're going to sing again, I exalt thee. Because when we really know who we are in Christ, then it is our privilege to sing that out, to declare that. that Jesus, we lift you higher. God, we lift your name up because it is because of you that we are saved. God, thank you so much for your love and your grace. God, thank you that we can know you and love you. Lord, help us in, in, in what we know. Lord, help our knowledge to grow and, and, to, and to blossom. God, help us to understand that we, we aren't right with you because we do good things. But God, when we are right with you in our souls and our hearts because we're saved, that God, the overflow of that will be the evidence that's in our lives. Help us to have a gospel purpose to what we do. Help us to take this letter of Titus and remember it and read over it and meditate on it. God, help us to lift up the name of Jesus because of the way we speak or maybe the way that we don't say something. God, help us to lift up the name of Jesus. God, trusting you that there is a greater plan ahead of us than what we may even know now. Help us to lift up the name of Jesus in this song that we sing, with the lives that we live, with the words that we say. God, you know our hearts. You know what we're in the middle of, what we've gone through. But God, we also know that if you know all of that, you also know all of our failure. And God, it is in our failure that you sent your son, Jesus Christ. God, freely, with all your money, with all your resources, you sent him on a journey to cross the room of this earth to die on a cross so that we could live. And God, we don't deserve it. So we say, Jesus, we lift God your name up because it is only your name that saves. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing? The front will be open to pray.